Today we're joined by, well, I've gone through a few FBI agents. The good thing is that everybody does something different in the FBI. And today I have Robin Drake, who wrote The Code of Trust. And prior to that, It's Not All About Me. He retired relatively recently from the FBI. And he ran, what was it, the Behavioral Analysis Training Program, Robin? Behavioral Analysis Program for Counterintelligence Division. I know there's so many behavioral programs, but yeah, Behavioral Analysis Program for Counterintelligence. All right. Can we break into that? Because I, I swear I've had BAU and BSU people on. Yep. Um, how do you break that all down at the FBI? So uh, it's a great question. I don't get asked it that often. Um, so inside the FBI, many organizations, lots of behavioral units. And so the BAUs, um, those are the criminal minds guys, those are profilers. And what the profilers do is they are generally dealing with people. That's why they profile that they don't know. They're unsubs. Mm. And so they, they, they have lots of research and education that they've looked at for people that have committed crimes in the past. And that way, when they get a new case that has a, a pattern or a crime that's been committed, they're able to look at their research and, and past, re, you know, acts, actions that they've seen. And they can create an ideal resume or a profile of someone that would commit that type of crime. And that way they sensitize themselves by labels and meanings to types of individuals that do that. So that way, when they're looking at all the information and leads coming in, they're naturally sensitized towards paths that would actually probably be a logical direction for someone that would have committed that crime. And so those are profiles. And they're generally dealing with abnormal psychology most of the time. And then then you have the BSU, Behavioral Science Unit. What they do is they do a lot of education uh, where they teach others about uh, behavioral sciences and they do a lot of research. Um, so that's the two legs of the three. They always say, you know, when it comes to behavioral sciences, you have education, you have research, and then you have um, uh, consultation where you're taking your skills and you're using it uh, productively. And so the BSU does uh, education and research. The BAUs kind of con- conjecture all three together. And most of what they do in both units is abnormal psychology, people that kind of fall outside the normal parameters of human behavior. Although the BSU does do a lot of normal stuff when it comes to the area of what I do, and I work counterintelligence. And so my program that I ran was the behavioral analysis program. And my team and what I did was we strategized engagements with other human beings that generally fall within a normal parameter of human behaviors, like recruiting spies. Uh, foreign intelligence actors, um, whether we're doing double agent operations or we're strategizing a interview strategy, something like this. Generally, we always know who we're going to interact with. And so we're creating strategies about how to have a good, productive human interaction, which is kind of different than what the BAUs do. Okay. So I, I've also had Chris Voss on. I'm not sure yep. if you're familiar with him. Yeah, I know Chris well. Okay. Hostage negotiation, which are I guess more into the abnormal or, or critical level, but there may be some crossover with you or no? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Chris, you know, every year my team, we had uh, annual training that we conducted every year. And Chris came in a number of years ago when he was still active. And I was uh, before I even ran the team and he did a week with us or at least two or three days with us with his crisis negotiation, uh, hostage negotiation stuff. And generally what Chris teaches is exactly what I kind of teach as well. And that is going towards the 
core of what all human beings are seeking and craving. And every human being is seeking and craving being affiliated and valued by others. And then how do you demonstrate that? And so what Chris uses with crisis negotiation and hostile negotiation, he does a lot of emotional labeling um, because he tries to get their shields down so that information can start exchanging. And I would say, I mean, yes, crisis negotiators, again, I'm not an expert, so don't, please don't. Uh, no, but I, I like drawing the lines to where, because I'm studying the whole spectrum and kind of trying to discover this with the audience. So I love hearing where, you know, he kind of leaves off and you start as you see it. I'd say Chris's realm encompasses all of them because there are people that have um, been emotionally hijacked that are completely normal, but everyone has a bad day or a super bad day and has a trigger that let them over the edge. You know, so you have those types of people. Um, so they kind of, they kind of do fall within the normal frame of their human behavior. So they're not outside a spectrum. And then you have the ones that actually have left over and they're actually, you know, abnormal, you know, when it comes to, you know, chemical imbalances, the brain, you know, emotional issues, you know, so what Chris is really skilled and good at is he, he spans the entire breadth of everything. Okay. And his is on a, a very limited time set, whereas yours yeah. can stretch out over uh, uh, several weeks, months, depending, right? Right. So what I'm all about, because I generally have the luxury of patience and time, because any, anytime you're trying to control time, it's, a, it's an attempt of manipulation of some sort, because you're attempting the control of another human being with use of subterfuge or deception or lack of transparency because and so when you're on a limited time frame and you're trying to control something there is a, a there's an element of a manipulation in there uh and so and when manipulation is discovered in some way trust gets evaporated healthy relationship gets evaporated but what chris is trying to do he's trying to stabilize situations rapidly to de-escalate in a short amount of time frame as possible so i, I believe there's a, a, a there, there's an attempt in there to take control so they can do that. Sure. And, you know, they're not, they're not, they're not in for necessarily long game. Whereas my line of work was I was trying to establish, you know, confidential human sources that are going to help national security, not just today and tomorrow, but for hopefully forever because of, of their access and information they're able to provide. Right. So you, you literally may have established a relationship with somebody 10 years ago and suddenly your phone rings out of nowhere because they notice something because you have a good relationship. Would that be a fair? Absolutely. And it's happened. It's, it's literally happened where I've known someone back from, I mean, I was in New York city during nine 11. Um, and you know, I developed a couple of good, you know, individuals that were great patriots, you know, wanting to help our country that, you know, they, they had good information for a short time frame, And then, you know, they move on and they get different jobs and different positions, but then all of a sudden literally, um, 20, well, probably about 17, 18 years later, something happens in a part of the world and a part of the country. And I get a phone call from that same individual saying, Hey, Robin, long time, no see good chatting with you again. Did you know about this? You know? And I'm like, thank you. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate it much. You know? And so, um, that those things happen because you have a good, healthy relationship. Now, one thing I want to cover is the spectrum too, because, you know, we think counterintelligence or intelligence. So we automatically think spine. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing that, some of what you're doing is not that dissimilar to a police officer getting to know people in the neighborhood and getting the lay of the land and knowing people who are never committing any kind of crime. They're just normal people who happen to be observant or around others. So, yes. Matter of fact, when I generally do my, my keynotes and my speeches and stuff, I, I, I poke fun at myself because I'm the FBI guy that'll tell you, 
I haven't used my handcuffs since I went through Hogan's Alley and New Agent Training 21 years ago. <laughs> um, never been to court, never made an arrest. That's not what I do. My job was not um, to investigate as much as it was to operate. My job was to create operations and scenarios where I put myself in a position where um, someone that was a an operative from another country, you know, special services that was trying to get information from our country. My job was to get them on board with us, you know, to share, you know, their information with us and, or, you know, and just in my area where I live now, my last five years, you know, I have between four and 600 clear defense contractors that are providing, you know, vital, you know, technology and information to protect the national security and sovereignty of the United States. And they're being attacked, you know, from all kinds of vectors, um, from multiple countries that don't have our best interests at heart. And so part of my responsibility also was to partner with them and create relationships so they would feel comfortable sharing what's going on and things they're seeing and the attack vectors they're coming in at. So we could help not just protect that company, but another company in somewhere else in the country that might be totally unaware of what's going on. So it's, it's multifaceted when you're protecting national security on the counterintelligence side. Because what it comes down to is you have to uh, thwart the efforts of our adversaries. And you do that uh, in multiple ways. You block the adversaries, direct access to the companies that they're trying to get access to and individuals in those companies. And the other way we do it is by actually getting some of those people on board with us so that it's easier because they're telling us exactly what they're doing and how they're doing. Now, I, I think you t- um, used an example in the book, which is really fascinating, where you had an agent who really wanted to go after somebody, but that individual was really well past their prime. They're old. Their network is probably dated, not necessarily that valuable. Yes, they were wrong. They did bad things, blah, blah, blah. But you kind of made the determination that unless it's rolling up somebody better or a bigger fish, maybe you should leave them alone. Do you have to do some of that? Everyone always has values, basically, is what I'm understanding you're asking, right? Yes. Right. But there are some people who, if you went out and rolled them up, it would probably cause more noise, more fanfare. Oh, that's what you're saying. Right, right, right. Then, you know, the, the person's not really doing anything right now. Right. They're- yeah. So there's multiple ways of looking at this. Some people will think we have to arrest, 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 attack, 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 get them off the street, get them off the street, get them off the street. At the same time, you have another train of thought is, well, if I know what you're doing and I know who you are, it's a lot easier for me to counter what you're doing. And so I'm of the school of thought of, of you know, if I know exactly who the, the players are and I know exactly who their contacts and sources are, I'd much rather not roll anyone up as long as not, because I tell you what, you know, intelligence officers and foreign operatives, the things they're doing illegal is roughly 0.01% of the time, most of what they're doing is looking at open source information and get in, in, getting individuals in a position of knowledge to validate it so it becomes sourced to someone. And so, I mean, very. that's why, you know, in my entire career, I probably was part of maybe two or three interdictions where we actually had someone doing something illegal because most of the time what they're doing is open source information collecting it and sourcing it to someone in a position of knowledge. So it's not illegal. You know, so what you're trying to do is, is see what their priorities are so you can actually hopefully build a relationship based on that. I'm guessing you run into a lot of stooges, too. Uh, you know, it's, it's funny. Stooges is kind of a judgmental word. Uh, <laughs> People who, who've been manipulated or or used. Yeah, you know, it, it's fascinating because I actually 
I absolutely 100%, if, especially since I read the code of trust, obviously, you know, I, I refuse to do manipulation. Um, I, I'm all about transparency and no subterfuge, no deception, because you can't base the health of relationship off of that. What will happen is that when an individual does discover, especially if a foreign operative, you know, intelligence officer is manipulating the individual for a personal gain for their own country, when that individual discovers it, they get generally really ticked off at the entire world, us as well, because they think we're all part of that game. So it, it's th- those are sensitive moments. And on that, you know, even if somebody does knowingly do some things, uh, are you of the philosophy? And I don't mean that you're excusing it or anything, but that nobody is really a villain in their own story. I'd say 99% of the time, the people that are being utilized by, you know, foreign intelligence officers are unwitting to the fact that they're being utilized in such a way. And, and additionally, most of the time also, they're not conducting it. They're not doing anything illegal. Now, now, if they're compromising proprietary information in their company, yes, that's illegal. If they're acting on behalf of a foreign government, that's a fair act. You know, that's illegal. You know, but generally they're not doing that. Now, when it does become on the illegal side is when they knowingly pass, you know, again, then we get the statutes of espionage. You know, foreign agent of a government is known that you knowingly are passing information that's classified or top secret or secret, you know, to a known foreign agent. Then then we're actually hitting the statutes. But believe it or not, I mean, it, it happens, but it's it's not as common as I think. Well, I, I don't know what people think because I, I work this, so I have no idea what people think. But <laughs> but uh, it, it's 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 reported more than it actually is real is a good way to put it. Well, that's good news. Oh, yeah. I actually work in Norfolk, Virginia. I don't know. If that's oh, yeah. I live down in Chesapeake. Yes, I know exactly where you are. Oh, you live here or you live? Well, I did. Well, so I lived down in Chesapeake in Great Bridge before I moved up here to uh, Northern Virginia. So you've probably dealt with defense contractors a lot here. Yes, absolutely. And I was going to say we have to go through every kind of eth- you know, espionage training or whatever. Ethics Inside training. Insider training, yep. Counterintelligence briefings, yep. I gave them all time up here, too. <laughs> so a lot of the stuff is screamingly obvious. Uh, now, interestingly, when you are working the field or working, I don't know if you say everyone's an asset or how you break it down. I know you have different types. You, could you break them down, actually? Because I know you did in the book. I don't remember all of it. Well, I mean, there's organizations, ter- you know, terminology and usage of things have changed over time. So, I mean, when I came in, you know, 21 years ago, we had three categories. We had an established source, uh, informational asset, and then an operational asset. We had three levels. And then... After 9-11 happened, you know, when uh, Director Mueller tried putting us all together on the criminal side, our side, everything, everything just became a confidential human source. And so for me, in the last years I was working, I, I just categorized people as patriots is a good way to put it. You know, if mm-hmm. someone was a patriot and wanted to do something patriotic to help protect, because every human being is hardwired for safety, security, and prosperity for ourselves. Sure a little more altruistic, our families, a little more, our community, a little more, our nation. Mm-hmm. So basically I offered people opportunities to do something patriotic for our nation, you know, protect their national security. So I, I categorized people either willing to do that or not willing to do that. So I didn't really have any higher or lower. It was either you're either you wanted to pitch in or not. And I, and all was good either way too. It never bothered me. When you're recruiting an asset or, or speaking to, I mean, is it almost like dating? 
Because I know you brought up the parallel, like if you're, you know, how are you going to approach this woman or how are you going to stumble across her in order to date her? And I thought you could almost take that a little bit further because you don't want to be creepy. Right. And, you know, the funny way to be not be creepy is be completely honest and transparent. In my last years, I was extremely frank is the best way to put it. You know, I always because, again, there's four things you can do to make sure that the entire conversation you're having is about the other person, because that's all people want. Make it all about them because you're going to build that affiliation. You're going to demonstrate that value. So I'm always seeking your thoughts and opinions. I'm always talking in terms of your priorities. I'm always going to validate you without judging you. I'm going to give you choices. And so when I'm building one of those four things, everything I'm saying with full transparency, that entire conversation is about you. And so, again, my anchors for everything I do is I want to make sure that everything I'm doing is congruent with building a healthy relationship. What is what I'm about to say or do going to build a healthy relationship or not? Second, I'm, the only an only way to do that is have full transparency and honesty. And third, I'm going to give I'm going to offer myself as an available resource for your success and prosperity with no expectation of reciprocity. So when I put all these thing, things together. I make it completely about the other person. And one of the things is empowering them with choice. And so when you build that with transparency. I'm literally first first email I send you, first encounter I have with you. I'm completely transparent about, hey, I think you're in a position that could be a really great help to national security and do something you know that could be patriotic. If that's not com- if you're not comfortable with that, let me know and I'll completely leave you alone. I have some resources that I think might be useful for you and your company or position. You know whether it's information briefings like you and your company had a clear defense contract. I can come in your your DSS rep can put a check mark in a block. You got a CI awareness briefing. You know, I, I, I'll do anything I can to make it good for you. But if none of this sounds good to you, let me know and I'll completely leave you alone. That's literally go in and say, hey, I'm Robin. I'm yep. with the FBI. Absolutely. I do not play games because the worst thing you can do, I think, is that once you break and this is whether you're doing and sorry, transition it to my, you know, what I do with companies. The worst thing you can do is leave people saying, I wonder what he really wanted, because if, if you're guessing at that, well, then you there's. They're, they're guessing they're, I might be trying to manipulate them. And then you're not going to have trust. There won't be a relationship and they don't want to see you again. And so that, that undermines everything. Now, do you approach somebody you suspect may be doing something in the exact same manner? Oh, so, well, there's differences. So if I'm just trying to hopefully elicit a patriotic response, because I think someone's in a good position to be a resource, you know, mm-hmm. for national security, that's one thing. If now someone is suspected of doing wrongdoing, they are going to be the last person I interact with because I'm basically our job when, because basically you're talking about espionage. Now, if you're talking counterintelligence, your job is to basically prove a negative because again, very, very few people are actually committing espionage willingly or knowingly. And you're, what you're trying to do is protect them at all costs because most of the time they're innocent. And the worst thing you can do is ruin someone's life and reputation professionally and personally Hmm. by letting it out there. So we take extreme care when uh, someone's suspected of espionage. It's a long, slow, grueling process with very, very few interviews along the way uh, because as soon as someone knows why you're interviewing them because you're someone suspected of espionage, what's that do to that person's reputation? Has that come up in the past where maybe another employee drops a dime on somebody because they don't like or a spouse is angry or i mean i'm trying to think of yeah i mean i've had or even you know like you know because you know here you are you're a clear defense contractor you get a ci awareness briefing and an insider threat briefing they give you all these uh, laundry list of warning signs to look out for and Mm. it's 
it's all right. They have uh, unexpected money, affluence. They keep odd hours. They're, they're introverts. And what you just described was an overworking engineer. And so someone will turn in a, a, an employee or coworker because they have one of these these signs that someone gave them a laundry list on. And it has nothing to do with the fact they're committing espionage. It just means that they have odd work hours and they're introverts. They don't like other people. I mean, just, you know, that's not illegal. It's just, just their work habits. Or they could be having an affair or something and that could yeah. trip all the wrong signals because they're skulking around and doing weird. I'll tell you what, one thing you definitely learn is that everyone has secret place. Every human being has something they're ashamed of, whether it's this much or this much. And we have insecurities. We tend to tuck them back behind us, but there hasn't been anyone I've ever met. You know, here's, here's some guarantees in life. Everyone has an insecurity. Some people just keep, keep it better hidden than others. And so I say never focus on someone's insecurities and what they're not good at. Focus on their strengths because that's what they want to know about. That's what they want to be validated on. And the other guarantee is that I can guarantee what all human beings are always going to do. They're always going to act in their own best interest. My job is to figure out what you think is in your best interest, and then I can understand you. Knowing that about people, and I've had a Chase Hughes on. I don't know if you're familiar with him. He, there's so many people in the community, but oh yeah, he's, he's did ellipsis uh, behavior, uh, ran prisons for the Navy, things like that. Sure. But he talked about body language and reading people, which I know Joe Navarro does a lot of, and I imagine you're pretty familiar with body language as well. Yeah. As he gets attuned to it, he finds that, yes, everybody's messed up. Does that help oh, yeah. you or, or does it help you not judge when you realize that, you know what? Everybody, as you just described, has problems. Yeah. Everyone has challenges they're working on. Everyone has priorities. And here's another guarantee. If I start judging you, I guarantee you your shields are going up and could you get defensive? You know, so I just don't judge. You know, it's it's fascinating watching what goes on both in politics and even in my own organization before I retire. Here's another guarantee in life. If you take a side, half the world's going to line up against you. And so I have 21 years of muscle memory of I can't take a side because one day I'm interviewing Iraqis because I went to a war in Iraq. The other day I'm interviewing Russians because of what's going on in the Baltics. Another day I'm going to be interviewing white supremacists because of something that Obama blew up somewhere. And if you take a side, you know, where you're going to let your personal bias come out in some way and judge someone for the behavior, they're not going to share with you. And my entire, my entire existence has been about providing safety and security and prosperity for myself, my family, my community, my country. And the only way you can do that is by brand. You create a brand where people know and can trust that I'm not judging you. I'm seeking to understand you. I love doing this with, with law enforcement when I, when I do training with them. I always ask them, the cops, I said, how, how many of you guys have ever gotten someone to confess? And all the hands go up. I said, how? Why? And I said, here's exactly what you did. Did you not seek their thoughts and opinions about exactly what happened, about the, the events in their lives that led them to make the choices that they did? And then once they shared your, their thoughts and opinions, you validated what they said. In other, in other words, you sought to understand without judging them, because if you judge them, their shields go up. Yes. And then next you talk in terms of their priorities and the options they may have, as limited as they might be, and how you might be a resource for them. And then you empower them with choice about how they want to move forward. And they all nod their heads. I said, that's exactly it, because you sought their thoughts and opinions, talked in terms of their priorities, validated them without judgment, and then you gave them choices. That's what every single human being is seeking and craving. Yet it becomes that elusive obvious that I call it because people don't know how to make it about someone else other than themselves. And that's the leadership principle that they tried pounding to me and me in the Marine Corps. But I sucked at. <laughs> I was ranked last. They said, you just need to make it about everyone else but yourself. But I go, OK, how? It's like, just do it. 
Well, this is, I've taken that subjective art form and made it a paint by number by this is exactly what you do. Because when you're trying to put national security, you cannot take a side. From your own description, you're a direct task oriented person and you like oh, yeah. versus me. It seems to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, that what you've done is taken the principles and the formula and turned it into your task. Yes. There's natural born leaders. It's an art form to them that they're just being who they are. We've been around charismatic people in our lives that just make us feel good about who we are. I've actually focused my entire life on figuring out what exactly are you doing? And I codify it because I want to be able to put that on myself. You know, if someone inspires me to be better and and makes me want to follow you, well, those are traits that I'd love to have. And so I can't just mimic your behavior, although that's how we do things in life. Generally, it's called on-the-job training. But I wanted it. I gave it label and meaning so you can actually start repeating those behaviors. And for a while, you were faking it till you made it, right? I mean, you can't tell me you just codified it and just said, okay, boom, five steps. Oop, one, two. Because if you're really focused task-wise, it's very hard to naturally just just do these behaviors. And that's why I was going to push you on earlier. The whole thing of, you know, like suspend your ego. Easy. No, it's not. Or uh-huh. don't judge. You've got to compartmentalize sometimes to not judge because a person could be just repulsive. And your initial instinct is very hard. So you can build muscle memory on it. I I love being the guy that shares this because I say, if I can do it, any human being in the world can do it because I'm, I'm, I'm an extrovert from New York and very judgmental. And I got a big mouth that loves to come at you. And so if I can overcome my own ego and vanity, any human being can. So what I basically do is I gave labels and meanings to start understanding what emotion I feel so I can rapidly recognize when I go into a mode where I'm getting emotionally hijacked. In other words, my cognitive brain is no longer working. And that's when I stop myself and ask, is what I'm about to say or do going to help or hinder the healthy relationship? That slows me down. And then it puts me in the mode of, all right, in order to build this, I need to make sure I'm seeking their thoughts and opinions, talking in terms of their priorities, validating non-judgmentally. And what happens is over time, just like I always like in this law enforcement or the military or anything else, you don't, we, we don't go to the firearms multiple times a year because you forget how to shoot. You do it because you're building muscle memory. So in times of crisis, when you get emotionally hijacked, you're going to rely upon your muscle memory. Behavior is exactly the same thing. When you build muscle memory around new behaviors that are healthy, that, that are centered on others other than yourself, it becomes a natural part of who you are. And it's, it's much easier every day to do that. And so it's, if this is a journey, not a destination, there's no doubt. So I started with trying to build rapport and I was like, wow, I can build rapport. I can do this. If I do this, I can do this. If I do this, well, oh my God, I can do this, this, and this. I mean, it's just, it's like playing an instrument. I mean, you can play the scales until now suddenly you're putting chords together and, oh, and you're hearing things between them. That is probably the best analogy I've ever heard. I've never, I've never likened it to that, but you know, I played an instrument growing up. And so I totally get, you're exactly right. It's like picking up an instrument for the first time and saying, what the heck do I do with this? I need to be able to do this. I want to be able to do this. And I, I, I think that was part of the big part with me is a natural hardcore charging type A, you know, very intense. But I saw, I readily saw the impact I had on others from time to time that wasn't positive. And I saw others that were having a better impact. And I was like, all right, what am I doing wrong? I know the best thing I ever had was that I never placed the blame for what I did or my circumstances on anyone else. I figured I caused this. What did I do to cause this? And so I studied other people and tried to figure out, you know, like Joe Navarro, one of my first teachers and mentors in the FBI, you know, on my team, I'm looking at him and his ability to build great trust and rapport with people. I was like, 
I'm going to be like that. And then in the book, you know, you, you know, the main character, Jesse Thorne, uh, his real name is mm-hmm. John, one of my best friends. He lives down the road from me still. I'm like, I'm looking at this Jedi master. I'm like, what are you doing? And he's just one of these guys. He's one of life's natural leaders. He just does who, his thing. And I actually broke down exactly what he did so I could build new, new, new muscle memory on top of myself. Voss is like that. Yeah. Yeah. Who is very natural. Oh my gosh. He's a Jedi. <laughs> no, he's got just that that cool vibe he's got that late night fm voice going thing too i mean he's 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 got a great voice he's got great tenor great intonation great tempo plus he's got the mad skills on top of it yeah there's no doubt it's like oh i want to have a beer with that guy but you know on that no one of my favorite things you brought up because it's one i studied before you even stated what it was i was like ben franklin rule Oh, yeah. I've heard that. <laughs> yes, it is the Ben Franklin well, I knew Before you even said it, I was like, oh, he's describing the Ben Franklin rule. You know, next paragraph. Uh, this is often called the Ben Franklin rule. I was like, yeah. yeah, yeah. I had a question about that because I don't know if you've uh, read Robert Cialdini. Oh, yeah. Influence, yes. Okay. So you got the Ben Franklin rule, which is the whole asking for a favor to draw the influence. And then you also have the rule of reciprocation where you give them the feeling. Is there... Do you have to be careful with some of this stuff because they can sneakily get into manipulation or have somebody feel manipulated, especially going back to back like that? That's why. So I I, I said to you already, I'm going to say them again, my three end goal anchors that I base everything on. The number one is an open, honest communication and transparency so I can have a, a, a healthy relationship. Those are my two big ones. And my third is an available resource for the prosperity of others. No expectation of reciprocity. That is my check in the block. That's my, my, my check on myself to make sure I'm not doing this for the expectation of reciprocal altruism kicking in or the Ben Franklin rule. Because if a human being picks up even a, 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 a slight tenor that you're trying to do it for self gain in any w- which way whatsoever, shields up. And I just don't, you know, and I get challenged on this a lot because they say, well, you know, what your goals and objectives are, you know, you have a purpose. I said, yeah. And I tell them exactly what my purpose is. And then I empower them with choice, whether they want to or not. That's my check. Because if they don't want to, I'm out. I'm good. Because it's got to be about them. It's always got to be about them. Okay. So the transparency almost is a slight bit of cover. Absolutely. Um, my, my big thing is massive transparency. And, you know, it's so, so funny. I'm the, I'm the counterintelligence guy that will tell you, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to see you. I'm going to be completely transparent with you. If there's something I can't tell you, I'll tell you I can't tell you and why I can't tell you, which is transparent. And I can honestly tell you. No one's ever asked me anything that I couldn't tell them because no one cares because people like to share things to make themselves look good. They don't care. You know, they care about what they care about. They care about their priorities. They don't care about yours. Makes sense. If they're talking, you can just keep listening. Yeah, because every time someone's talking, they're sharing their priorities and challenges. And now when I'm listening to what's important to you, my brain's automatically aligning the resources I have and other relationships I have to be a resource for your success and prosperity without expectation of reciprocity. Again, that's that like check in the block. Th- those three anchors for me are paramount. I used to be, you know, cause I'm that type A guy. I used to be so focused on trying to accomplish things, but, mm-hmm. things, but things cannot be accomplished without relationships, anything. And so what I've started seeing was over the years, if I just focused on the healthy relationships, hell, everything else falls into place. Piece of cake. That makes total sense. And I was actually thinking of something you uh, wrote in the book too, when you were saying that, if someone walks away thinking you're a great conversationalist, that's your goal. And I was thinking, well, if they walk away thinking you're a great conversationalist, guess what? You're a great conversationalist by default. Hmm. If they feel that way, then you are, right? 
And you know why they felt that way? Because I sought their thoughts and opinions. I talked in terms of their priorities and I validated them without judging them. Exactly. <laughs> therefore, there that makes you a great conversationalist. Because people always say, so again, there's so many things that become an assumed knowledge. You know, it's like, oh, just build rapport and do this. Well, I, I'll do this in, a, in meetings. So I said, okay, build rapport, go. How do you do it? Go, go, build rapport. Chris Ross is the same thing. You know, he'll put you on a timeline. Sorry, I'm going to pull this trigger and blow this person's head off. What do you say? Go. You know, I mean, what? What? These How things- are you? Why are you going to do that? <laughs> I know, but the thing is, what do you mean? no, I, I mean, I, I'm already thinking the Voss stuff. <laughs> I know, but you know, how, how am I going to do that? You know, it's a whole. I need a million dollars. How am I going to do that? So, yeah. Well, what they're really looking for is they're looking for validation and affiliation. They're looking to be valued for who they are. They're looking to be validated and listened to. And so what Chris does is he focuses on validating the emotion that they're having in that moment and, and, and being a resource for them moving forward and actually what it is they're actually looking for. You know, because a lot of times people always think it's things, but think what do things do? People are looking for safety, security, and prosperity above all else. And so they think things will get them there, but there's other things that will get them there as well. And so that's what I'm always doing as well is I'm always looking to seek to understand what you think are your priorities and what's in your best interest. And all I'm going to do is offer you resources to move forward in that direction. And that's doing well, like specifically with Chris Voss, it's labeling, mirroring, and mm-hmm. et cetera. It sounds like you kind of are doing that, but you're actually not even trying to do that because it could be seen as manipulative. And I won't do it. Right. It's got to and- be natural because so what it's, so what it's got to be for on my end, um, you have to have lots of congruence between the words being spoken, the emotion that you're feeling. Because otherwise, you're going to look like the creepy car salesman. That's why, you know, if you have a bad salesman, he's saying all the right things, and you're trying to pick apart what he's saying, but he can't quite do it, but he's still giving you creeps. That's because emotionally, he's there to take advantage of you. His words are saying something different. So there's incongruence, and our ancient reptilian brain back there picks up on this. And so that's that's why I'm I my muscle memory I've built over time is is probably the easiest thing that keeps us easy, and that is I am completely fascinated by every human being. I want to know exactly how you wound up in this place in front of me and who you are and how it all happened. I don't care what you did, didn't do. You know, I don't judge any of it. I'm fascinated by your journey and I'm trying to discover what that journey was because that is validation at its utmost. When you can do that and feel that towards any human being, that's when you're going to build healthy relationships with anyone you encounter. That makes a lot of sense. And while you were talking about things not matching up, right. Mm -hmm. You know, creepy salesman, et cetera. Another guest I've had on is Mandy O'Brien, who does Bombard's body language. But she likes to always say, when people are being truthful, their body sings. And yeah. I always I love that analogy that it, it just is it sort of like the musical bit earlier that everything just kind of lines up together. Called congruence. Yeah, the congruent. Yeah, it's congruent. Now, there were um, three really profound things that you had in your book. So I, I, I wanted to share those with you and see if you wanted to loose it in on any more. Sure. Just really cool. One of them, and these are the ones that, you know, make me stop and just think and go, wow. And I'll probably actually put them on a list of quotes somewhere too. <laughs> um, one is from Bern Schrader. And I love when he said, and don't beat yourself up over this. That's just more of the same problem thinking it's all about you. Mm-hmm. Do you want to get into that story a little bit? I'll just keep it really simple on that one. That is, I, I'm a big believer in let go of your past transgressions and live today. 
you know, be your best person today. I, I think that's what I was basically trying to say there in the simplest form possible. If you live with remorse and you live with regret, that's going to, those are anchors that are going to hold you down to being the best person you can be today. I do always, when I roll up to classmates or people I've known from 25, 30 years ago, I give them a big hug and thank them for tolerating the moron I was 30 years ago. And they always say, no, no, Robin, you're fine. You know, but I always say an apology, but I don't hold on to that because if I, Con- like that quote says, you know, if you're constantly beating yourself up over past transgressions in any way, it's hard to keep moving forward and grow. Right. And I love how he added that when you're doing it, it's kind of a selfish thing. Oh, yeah. Because this whole thing is about get the focus off yourself. You know, when I, when the when the Marine Corps major told me, hey, you got to make it about everyone else but yourself, I had no idea what the hell he was talking about because I thought I was. I had no idea what actions I needed to take to actually stop doing that. Because I was so self, I was so focused on what I was doing, what I needed to achieve, what things I needed to accomplish. I mean, everything I just said is is a typical type A way to look at the world in your twenties. But it's me, 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 me. But what you're losing an understanding of is it's not all about you. It's all about hey, if you're meant to be here on the planet alone, you would be here alone. You're not. That means you're genetically and biologically coded to interact. <laughs> you know, and do it in a healthy way because you cannot move forward without it. It's a guarantee. But in defense of your old self and my old self and every other 20 something year old male on the, or person on the planet, you have to have enough life experience and have enough vision of destruction that you have wreaked on others to understand that we have to be together in this lot. Yeah. And part of what I hope I do and what I share in the code of trust and my next book coming out and everything I, I, I preach is, you know, and, and I know it works because I have, I have, you know, I've got a 19 year old son who's also at the Naval Academy now and, and my daughter who's a senior in college. And I see them much further along than I am in the, in the area of self-awareness because this comes down to self-awareness. What does the world see when they see you? You know, and and it's not in a self-loathing or self-hate thing. Oh, my God, the world hates me. No, it's like, what 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 are you imposing on the world that they have a certain view of you? And what are you going to do about it? And if you want, if you need to do anything about it, it's all choice. But being able to pass on a process to become self-aware, because that's all this is. How do you build trust with others? Well, easy. How do you be self-aware? How do you aware of the impact you're having on others? And how do you get outside yourself and make it about others? Because that's what's every human being wants. They want to be valued and they want to be affiliated with meaningful groups and organizations. How do you intentionally do that? Not by mistake. That's what I love doing. I love telling people exactly how to do that because no one could tell me how to do it. They said, just watch me. That takes too long. I don't want to just watch you. It's going to take me 50 more years of my life to figure that out. You know, <laughs> I love breaking this art form down in the paint by number that I have, because that to me is the most important thing. Because I mean, I always say we're born perfect. The world messes us up for 19 years and we spend the rest of our lives trying to unscrew ourselves. And this is the process to unscrew yourself. Fair analogy. Now this next one, the next statement that I found impressive, it wasn't in the book actually, it was other interviews. I kind of obsessively research. Thank you. That's very validating. <laughs> That's kind of scary. <laughs> I'm kind of breaking it, though, because I am talking a lot during this. And some of that is because I'm performing for an audience. Sure. That's so, all I. <laughs> a, a weird, well, there you go. It, it's a weird balance. But you've remarked that you should have nothing to say mm-hmm. and that you always remember the conversations where you had nothing to say. Absolutely. Please go into that. That struck me, you know, again, really valuable. So 
it's a, a few things. So every human interaction is generally a, an exchange of anecdote and story because we're trying to assess whether we, we are being accepted for who we are. So someone, you know, instead, unless it's just a, hey, just the facts, ma'am, you know, just item line things you're asking questions on. But in general, we're exchanging anecdote and story and experience with the people around us in our lives, whether it's strangers or people we know. And when we're doing that, what we're doing is we're assessing, do you accept me non-judgmentally for who I am? And so we hear the anecdote or story. And then within a microsecond, we have our anecdote story that we can't wait to share back. Because our mm-hmm. dopamine is screaming at us. So, you know, our brain chemistry is saying, go, 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 go. You know, Harvard University did that great study in 2012 where they saw that on average, people are sharing their thoughts, opinions, ideas, and talking about their own priorities 40% of every day. Because we're testing the environment around us for, do you accept me? Do you accept me? Do you accept me? And so what I'm saying is, is that when you can, when you had that first urge to have your anecdote or story that popped in your brain, you couldn't wait to share. Take it and toss it. Have nothing to say. Just don't shut up. You, it's, it, just shutting up doesn't do it. Just shutting up means you're still thinking about it. I mean, get totally rid of even the urge to say it and refocus back on them. Listen to their thoughts, opinions, ideas, and explore now with them how you decided to do that, when you decided to do that, what kind of challenges did you have along the way? Because when you ask those types of questions, you're going to start understanding their priorities and their context. And I guarantee you this, you will remember everything they said because you had nothing to say. Makes total sense. And now the last one that, again, you know, it just slammed me. And I think this one was, yeah, this one is in the book. Huge lesson. If someone asked you for a favor, never answer. It depends. Say, of course, and offer what you can, even if it's too much. Yeah. You know, I, I once had a, that was a kind of a twist on what I um, took uh, took away from this great Marine Colonel I worked for at Paris Island uh, right before I got out. His greatest quote I loved, he said, never tell me no, only tell me yes. Just tell me what it will cost me. So I, it, it's based off that same principle of I will always do all I can for you and I'll give you the cost benefit analysis and I'll empower you with choice because Again, going back to my four principles on how do I make this conversation about you? I seek your thoughts and opinions. I talk in terms of your priorities, which I just did. I validated your thoughts and opinions by saying, yes, correct, I understand. And I empowered you with choice about how to move forward. Now, when you give someone a choice and the options about how to move forward, I guarantee you, you're giving them choices that can also align with what you can provide. So, yeah, I, I, I subscribe to that. Absolutely. That's probably my favorite out of the whole thing, because that was one of those that just punched me in the face and I go, I do that all the time. And I think that I'm being open and generous where it's like somebody asked me, I don't know. What are you looking for? And it's like, I'm trying to be coy and clever, not realizing that you're putting condition on the relationship, right? Yeah. I'm again. So that's one that's like, Oh good. Now I have homework. Now my life is improved by a, a chunk just by that piece of knowledge. So oh, even if- not, e- not easy to do, is it? <laughs> It's not easy to do, but you know, that's one of those weird things. I, I always believe that if I take one thing out of any book I read, I've already won. I don't have to get everything out of the book. If I get one strong thing that changes me, and I think that one's a profound one. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I, it's been profound in my life. I've, I've, I do the same thing. I keep picking up these these tools and, and nuggets of great human interpersonal reactions and, again, trying to build that muscle memory around um, what I'm trying to do and pass on. Now, changing gears again, and this one fits because we're going to have to wrap up soon. When you're establishing a time constraint, mm-hmm. 
you you put that out there, you know, this is a really good thing to do. Right. Do you have issues with that though in some ways where people be cagey because how many times are we told, oh, it's a short story and of course it's the longest story in the world or it's a shortcut and of course it's twice as far as if you just drove straight there and turned right. Well, you have to be true to your words if it's going to be short <laughs> for one thing. If you say one thing and your behavior is incongruent with it, well, then you have no trust because now he just lied to me. Uh, he wants to be transparent. So um, so my my aspect of establishing that time constraint is very is very much so. Remember, Caldini's you know three principles of, of the pre, three priorities of human beings on first contact: who you are, what you want, when you're leaving. I like establishing mm-hmm. the when I'm leaving immediately as well, because that then empowers the person with choice. Again, my one of my four principles with how you want this to go. And so, hey, if if you have thirty seconds of your time, here's what I have to offer. And and I did this. You know, I remember. I mean, just look at this too. I love time constraints so much because it, it lets the other person have control of the relationship. So it makes it about them. So I'm just listening how this sounds. The difference between, hey, how about you be a cooperating witness and, and a confidential human source for the United States government? No, thanks. Yeah. I mean, it's open-ended. He's like, oh my God, when's the end in sight? Or, or how about this? How about this? Why don't we get together for maybe three cups of coffee over the next month and we can talk about each other's priorities and the types of resources we have. And we can see if we have any overlap. If not, no harm, no foul. And uh, we'll exchange business cards and have a great day. That's a time constraint. That's saying, hey, all we want to do is talk about each other's priorities and see if we can be a resource for each other. And at the end of the month or a couple of cups of coffee, if we don't think so, that's it. Which are you more apt to do? True. I just thought of another advantage of that. Every time you meet, you're actually proving that you're good to your work. The ask doesn't come day one. The ask comes day 40 or day 50 or whatever. You know, it really depends on what they want. If they want to know exactly, you know, because I always say this too, you know, we spend some of these great schools spend all this time teaching people how to use all the subterfuge. And they say, hey, go have a cup of coffee, make a friend, make a second meeting. I'm like, really? How many people in their 40s and 50s looking for friends? I'm not. Screw you. What the hell do you want? You know, if you want to know exactly what I want, I'm going to tell you exactly why I'm here. If you don't, if you'd rather have a cup of coffee and just play a little coy, that's exactly what I'm going to do. Because, again, who's it about? It's not about what I'm trying to accomplish. It's about what is good for you. What are your priorities? And all I'm trying to see is if one of your priorities is safety and security and prosperity for your family and maybe your country, I have an opportunity for you to do something patriotic. That's it. It is that simple. (laughs) And if that's not your cup of cup of tea, then no harm, no foul. Because as I always say, I'd rather have seven to ten people give me a hundred to twenty percent of their effort willingly than a hundred people give me five percent reluctantly. Because all you're going to do all day long is verify everything those hundred people said. I don't have to do that with my with my seven people, guaranteed. That's perfect, and that wraps up this time constraint. Well, <laughs> bingo. We'll find you. Oh, yeah. So um, very easy. Peopleformula.com is my website, www.peopleformula.com, all one word. I'm on Twitter. It's uh, at rdreek, R-D-R-E-E-K-E. I'm on LinkedIn. Follow me on Instagram, although I'm not very good at that yet. I'm still working on it. But uh, (laughs) reach out for me anywhere and anytime. I'm very easy to get a hold of. All right. Hey, thank you so much for coming on. This has been a delight. Uh, absolutely. Thank you. You've, you've asked some very in-depth questions I haven't been asked in a very long time. <laughs> Thanks for listening. And if you like what you heard, please consider subscribing for free. And I mean for free. It is always free. 
There's no billing, anything else. You can subscribe in your player of choice, which is probably right in your hands. Or you can go to unstructuredpod.com, and there are plenty of links there. Thank you so much. And in the spirit of sharing, here's a couple more shows you may want to check out. Laughter, tears, celebrities, newsmakers, anecdotes, and recipes. Wait, I was wrong. They don't do recipes. You can't hear food. Join host Randall Kenneth Jones, a man who is not the original cowboy in the village people, and announcer Susan C. Bennett, a woman who is the original voice of Siri, every week on Jones.show, a podcast so accessible, its name is a web address, www.jones.show. Welcome to Growth Mindset University. My name is Jordan Paris, 21-year-old author and host of this show. And with this show, you and I will embark on a journey to learn the things that we should have learned in school but did not, so that we may take control of our lives while fulfilling our vision of success. Each episode will feature a brand new lesson, and now it's time for today's lesson. So put your thinking cap on because school is now in session.